Welcome to the Impact Alumni Podcast. I'm Paul Clifford, and I'm your host. I'm the president and CEO of the East Carolina Alumni Association, and I produce this podcast on a semi-regular basis so that we can pass on topics that are of interest to alumni relations practitioners worldwide. And uh, today, I am pleased to have as my guest on the podcast, John Fido. John is the Associate Vice President for Alumni Relations at Boston College. Uh, in his 20-plus years in alumni relations, he has served as uh, the Executive Director of the University of Connecticut Alumni Association, the Associate Vice Chancellor for University Advancement at the University of Massachusetts at Amherst, and has held positions at numerous other institutions uh, in the alumni relations field. It's great to have you on the show today, John. Thanks, Paul. Always a pleasure to talk with you. All right. In full disclosure, let's just let the folks know that uh, John and I have been have been longtime friends. I've, I worked for John when I was at the University of Connecticut. Uh, now, uh, I, I was just doing the math just earlier. We've been friends for 11 years. That's right. So, that's uh, right. I still remember the first time we met uh, when you were at SUNY New Paltz. <laughs> that seems like seems like forever ago. I know. Uh, and John is not only uh, a leader in alumni relations for the institutions that he works for. But he also is, is very generous in sharing um, his experience with alumni professionally through the Council of Advancement and Support of Education. John has been a, a faculty speaker. He's been a faculty chair. He's been a commissioner. He's an author. Uh, and I'm sitting in front of me is his latest book called uh, Alumni Relations, A Newcomer's Guide to Success, uh, which he edited and is now in his second edition. He also edited the first edition, and it is, uh, it is a great publication. I was, quite frankly, John, I know I submitted a chapter for the book, but I was surprised by how how big it was. <laughs> I, I, not, I know you, didn't, you weren't going for a page count, but it's, it's a lot more robust than the first undertaking. Talk, talk a little bit about the new book and uh, um, what people can find by uh, reading in that. Well, Paul, so much of our business has changed over the course of time. Uh, Fifty years ago, 60 years ago, our business was really just about keeping people excited. And alumni associations were predominantly social organizations, and they tended to be run by the enthusiastic alum or the former football coach. And in the time that has passed, especially over the last 25 years or so, we have really become a true profession. And like any other industry, any other profession, it takes a lot to do it right. And I didn't even realize during the course of the couple of years that it took to put this book together, I didn't realize how thick it was going to be as well. But that just goes to show you both the amount of information that is needed to do this job the way that we should do it to support our institutions and our alumni, but also the quality of the authors who contributed to the book and the amount of information that all of our authors had to share with people from the advancement profession. So, yes, I'd love to see uh, a lot of people buy this book just so that way Case thinks that the time and effort and, and cost that they spent on producing this book was worthwhile, but more importantly, I'd like to see people buy it because I think it can be a great resource. Absolutely. And I will put a link to the case website so people can get more information in the show notes of the podcast. So when they visit alumnipodcast.com, they can just click on that and get
get more information about this book. It is a it is a great read. I've I've read you know, and it's, it's the good thing about the book is you don't have to read it cover from cover. You could use it as a resource manual if you're struggling with with certain topics, and it certainly runs the gamut from clubs and chapters to homecoming to reunions to to budgets and funding. Um, I've read several individual chapters and and use it as a tool guide. So it's really well done. And I want to make sure that I said that to you. Great, thank you, Paul. Uh, well, we've had we had a great response to a previous podcast when we had Scott Morey on the show talking about alumni board management. And, John, as you well know, being in the profession, you've seen one alumni board, and that's all you've really seen because all institutions and associations are, are so different. But there are those certain things, certain skills that alumni relations professionals bring, regardless of whether it's a public school or private school, that will help them to be successful in managing an alumni board. And so I thought this topic, you know, is one that can continue to resonate and people can get, uh, get a lot out of hearing, you know, two professionals like us talk about it. So talk a little bit in general about the board that you currently ma- manage and give us some basics, the size, the scope, uh, how long they serve, how often do they meet, all those things. Well, we actually have a relatively new organization here, Paul, and what I mean by new is that Four years ago, just as I was making the move from the University of Connecticut to Boston College, my undergraduate alma mater, uh, we went through a process where the board actually voted itself out of office. Uh, Our organization here voted, in a sense, to implode uh, and really just create an entirely new alumni association from the ground up, and that was a suggestion that came to us after a consultant's report had been done in an audit of the program, and the recommendation was that that we start from scratch and and rebuild, and that's when I came into the job. And I'll tell you, even though I was coming back to my alma mater, it was really the opportunity to build an entirely new organization that was the biggest thrill for me. So as part of that change, we completely restructured our alumni association, and especially our board. So we now have a board that, according to our bylaws, we can have between 14 and 17 members. And we tend to stay at 17 because you want to get more people involved uh, in a leadership role like that. They serve terms of three years. The officers serve two-year terms. Now, our officers, we've also restructured, instead of the standard hierarchy of president, vice president, secretary, treasurer, we only have a president and three vice presidents. And then I serve as the de facto secretary and treasurer. And that's because we're a predominantly dependent organization. And so our budget is really a university budget, so there's no reason for a volunteer treasurer. And so in our bylaws, it's my position that that is responsible for the secretarial and and treasury piece. Uh, But really the scope of the charge, and this is something that we say to the board every year as we rotate new members into the organization, their one charge is that everything that we do, every conversation we have, every discussion, and every decision that's made we have to make sure that what we're doing is in the best interests of Boston College. And that's really the bottom line. So regardless of of when we get together, and we do meet three times a year in person on campus, 
and our board members are from all over the country, so they fly in on their dime. We don't reimburse for uh, any travel expenses. And then we have one meeting a year that is a conference call. So we have four formal meetings a year, three in person, one conference call, but every single meeting is really talking about big picture issues and how we can support our alma mater in the best possible way. Okay, so you said a couple things in there that, that interest me and that I want you to maybe dive a little bit deeper into. Okay, first, you said that you imploded the board and imploded the organization and kind of reorganized. Um, but then alongside of that, you said that the board voted themselves out. How easy was it to get your current volunteers to buy into what the consultants were telling them? It was actually relatively easy, Paul, because it all made sense. Uh, I think the volunteers here realized that, and this goes back to what you and I were discussing at the beginning, that times have changed. And the way alumni associations were run 50 years ago is not necessarily what our institutions and our alumni need from us today. And so I think that the board leadership realized that the way we had been organized, the way we had been structured, the way we programmed was to some extent a little outdated and not serving Boston College and our alumni in the ways that we needed uh, in order to be successful. And so the, the board leadership as well as the leadership of the institution were very supportive of the change. And I've got to give them all the credit, especially the volunteer leaders. I mean, we had... We had board members who had just been elected to the board by a vote of all alumni through the magazine. So 150,000 people got the magazine, got a ballot, uh, a certain number of them voted, and it was never a high number, and that's part of why we changed how we're structured, because uh, I think this last vote four years ago, there were maybe 1,500 people out of 150,000 who voted, but Board members had just been voted into office by their fellow alums. They show up for their first meeting in May of 2006, and at that meeting they voted themselves right out of office again at their very first meeting. And that takes a lot of integrity uh, and a lot of class to be able to do that. And so now our board is not elected by a vote of the alumni anymore. It's actually a board that is appointed by the board. Okay. and with the approval of the president of the university. Well, that that's going to lead me into the next question, but before we get to before we get to that next question, you know, cuz I think what what you're talking about here is even though you've had an alumni program for many years at Boston College, you're really talking about a rebuild or a reorg. So, some of this is going to resonate with people who are listening to the podcast who are thinking about starting an alumni board or have a board that is that is defunct and would really like to um, would really like to get it going again. So, what were maybe two or three things that you did intentionally this time around as you formed this new board? Well, the the most important thing that we did was recognize that the adage, "If you want a busy person, or if you want something done, get a busy person to do it." That's true, right. and, and so. It's not just about getting somebody who stands up waving a hand saying, I want to be on the board, I'm enthusiastic, I'm happy to do this. That's not the the first criteria in selecting a board member. 
our criteria is finding someone who is successful because somebody who is successful is going to put that knowledge and that expertise to work for your organization. And so the first board that we put together included the CEOs of major corporations. It included people who ran their own businesses. Uh, it included Doug Flutie, uh, you know, people who who have been successful in what they have chosen to do and who care about Boston College. And that really made all the difference in the world to us. And, and now this is coming off of a a history of success within the Alumni Association. I mean, we had a great Alumni Association uh, dating as far back as I know because uh, I've I've been a part of it for years. And so there was nothing wrong with the association over the years. It's just that times have changed. So the association was great at the time for what that era needed. Now we needed to make some changes. So let's let's start there then. Uh, at the volunteers, you talked about you know the types of roles that the, your volunteers have professionally, whether they're CEOs or you know leaders of big organizations or Doug Flutie. Um, talk about how you identify and recruit, and and what is some of your what is your tips? And not only because of, you said it's the board that um, both fellow board members in. How do you how do you lead the board through that process and help weed out? you know, what we like to call the board collectors, the resume builders, and those unrealistic self-identifiers that pop up and want to serve for self-serving reasons. Well, we do encourage all alumni and all members of the Boston College community to nominate people for the board. And so we do get upwards of 80 to 100 nominations a year for people who want to serve on the board. And because of the size of the board, there are years in which we might only have three or four openings. And so that's a lot of people who are being nominated for just a few spots. And so what we do is is we take a look at all the nominations and then start paring them down and putting all people into categories. Here, here's what this person brings to the board. Here's what this person will bring. And then what we've done is we've created a demographic chart that we, we plot our board members on this chart. So we list our board members, and then we have categories of class year, school or college within BC that they graduated from, their current profession, where they live, gender, ethnicity, and also whether or not they have given to Boston College over the past year or so. And so we look at all of those factors as we're considering a board because we want to make sure that our board is balanced to the extent that it is representative of the alumni body. So, for example, of our 17 members, uh, we're, we're going to end up with a situation where we're most likely nine women and eight men on the board because the Boston College alumni population is uh, about 54% women 46% men. So we, we look at things like that. We make sure that we have all of our schools and colleges represented. We make sure that we have as many of the decades represented going back as, as far as we can or as far as it makes sense to. Uh, we look at professions. You know, I remember when when I first came here in the summer of 2006 and we were building that first board 
And as we sat down together to, to build the board with the leadership team that was charged with doing that, we realized that we could have put together a board comprised completely of male attorneys from Washington, D.C. Right. <laughs> because we had that many nominees. So we can't do that, though. So we have to look at, at the composition of our alumni and what the university needs and then be able to build the board that is truly representative. And so what are, what are some of the characteristics that you found of a good board member? Well, first of all, as I said, it's got to be somebody who is successful. And that's a little different than what some people might put as their top criteria. Some people might say, well, it's got to be somebody who's been involved in the university. And that actually isn't as big a, uh, a need for us because then you tend to get people, if, if you're just putting people on your board who have been really active, maybe they've served as chapter leaders or class leaders or, or within affinity groups, well, they might be skewed in terms of, of their thinking and their approach to alumni relations. So we actually will add several members of the board who have never had any experience with the Alumni Association and maybe not even much with Boston College since they've graduated because we want them to bring that objective viewpoint. You know, I look at our alumni population, and we're now at about 154,000 alumni. Of those people, roughly 28% of them give from one year to the next. So if we have about... Uh, 35,000 or 40,000 people who are giving out of 154,000, well, that's a lot of people who aren't giving and right. a lot of people who maybe aren't participating in the ways that we need them to. Well, why aren't they? And so we want to make sure that we have that kind of representation on the board as well. So we want people who maybe haven't participated because they bring that viewpoint. So we, we look for people who have been successful. We look for people who are thought leaders, who are industry leaders. Uh, we look for people who have organiza uh, organizational skills, who have experience in running businesses, running uh, nonprofits uh, as well, and people who just can look at everything from a 30,000-foot level. We don't need board members who are going to be asked to stuff envelopes or slap stamps on an envelope, or uh, I remember when when the the president of the association, who uh, served when I first arrived, when his two year term ended as president a couple of years ago, at his last meeting he turned to me, and the last thing he said as the meeting was ending was, "John, I remember the days when I was on this board, and we used to talk about the color of the tablecloth at events." Well. <laughs> That's never going to happen on a board right now because that's not what we need them to do. We will make those decisions. That's right. why you pay staff. We don't need volunteers, busy people, busy volunteers, to worry about details of events. You're listening to the Impact Alumni Podcast, and we're talking with John Fudo, the Assistant Vice President for Alumni Relations at Boston College. Now, John, what, in your opinion, are the biggest challenges to managing this volunteer board, and, and how do you overcome these challenges? 
I think the biggest challenge, Paul, is that you have to set clear expectations. And the expectations have to go both ways. Here's what we expect of you, and here's what you can expect of us. So whenever we talk to prospective board members, we have a role description, a board member role description that we have developed. And actually, it appears in the book that you mentioned earlier, The Newcomer's Guide to Success. There's a a chapter on uh, board development and and board volunteers uh, and volunteer management, and our role description is in that chapter. And so we provide this this document to all of our prospective board members saying, here's what's expected of you. We also provide for them a document that lists the role of the board versus the role of the staff so that the kinds of things that I was just talking about never happen. We'll never have a board member asking about the details of an event like the color of the tablecloth because it's it's clearly set that there are things that we do and things that we will ask you to do. So I really think that the idea of clear expectations is the most difficult challenge in in any type of organization like this. And then I would say the other thing that is important is stewardship. And stewardship from the perspective of if you're asking a busy person to do something like this, then you really need to be there for them to support them. You have to know when they're doing a good job and, and thank them for doing that good job. And if they're struggling with the volunteer role, you have to be able to find out why they're struggling and work with them on on helping to overcome the obstacle. I, I recently had a board member that I was meeting with in New Jersey, and she was telling me about how much work uh, her committee was doing and how it, it, it had proven to be a lot more work than she thought because she was really getting this committee running and off the ground, and they were doing some great things but it was turning into a bigger job than she had anticipated. So we talked about how we can get staff and other volunteers to take some of the responsibility away from her so that it would allow her to just focus more on the bigger picture and fit in better with the rest of her life. Absolutely. Well, as we are wrapping up here, John, what parting advice or pearls of wisdom would you give to uh, fellow alumni relations professionals that managing board? I would say, Paul, the best advice is to look at these people as friends, as colleagues, as supporters. I mean, you know just from the the time that we've spent working together that that we've had some board members who have become, just as you've had in your job and other positions, and I have as well, you, you have board members who become friends, who are personal friends, people that you now want to spend time with outside of a board meeting or outside of an event, that's the way that you need to view them because these are people who want you to be successful and want your organization and your institution to be successful. What bothers me is when we sometimes look at volunteers as necessary evils, that we have to have them because it's in our bylaws that that we're run by a, a volunteer board. That's not the way to approach it. Look at these people as as friends, as supporters, as colleagues, and if you have that kind of positive outlook, you can make the situation better 
Now, having said that, the, the last piece of advice is if they're not doing the job that you need them to do, regardless of whether they're friends or that necessary evil, get rid of them. And especially, people ask all the time, can you fire a volunteer? The answer is yes, absolutely yes. And sometimes, and people may find this hard to believe, sometimes the volunteers want to be fired because sometimes they're just not enjoying their responsibility and their role anymore, but they feel that they're too tied in with it and then don't have the ability to get out. So help them get out if they're not doing the job. Absolutely. Well, John, some good advice. And, again, I want to thank you for for joining us on the podcast today and uh, appreciate your uh, friendship and and all that you've done for for me personally. But also, you know, hundreds of people can tell the same story that I've told about how much we've learned from you about alumni relations uh, as well as other life things that we've been able to learn. And so I wanted to Thank you and, and uh, for joining us today on the podcast. Paul, thanks. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for listening to the Impact Alumni Podcast. Again, you can download past episodes of the podcast at our website, alumnipodcast.com. You can connect with us on Twitter at, at Impact Alumni or find us on Facebook or LinkedIn and drop us a note about what you'd like to see on future shows. Until next time, take care.